Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Thank you, church, for being here tonight. You know, we used to do our Christmas services at night on Christmas Eve, and then we discovered most people want to go earlier, so we started doing them in the afternoon, and we do them earlier and earlier. And this year, uh, we're doing them on the most reserved spots, most people coming on Christmas Eve, Eve at five. We just can't get the service early enough for anyone. So this is actually next year's Christmas Eve service tonight is what this is. I want to thank you for being here and for uh, church, Rockbrook Church, thank you for this year and your serving and your giving, your generosity, your love for one another. I know my family is just so grateful for your ministry, uh, You, those of you who serve in Rockbrook for kids and students and on our dream teams and I'm so grateful for my small group. If you're a guest here tonight, you're really uh, among an amazing group of people that I look up to and we're so glad you're here. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to what's coming up in the days of Rockbrook. Hopefully you've got to hear that in last week's message. And next week I'll be talking about it in more detail of what's coming up in our next season as a church family. Uh, but I'm so grateful we get a warm, great place to worship and celebrate Christmas today. It's been so wild with this cold snap. You know, last year at uh, Christmas Eve, uh, I think it was 64 degrees when we did when we did that service. But it's cold today. This morning, I saw a video of a guy uh, throwing a cup of hot water up in the air over him, and then it just like turns into dissipated, turns into vapor, and he was dry. So uh, we're homeschooling our kids, so I thought I would show them that and, and tell them about that. And uh, so Lauren and the boys backed out of the, out of the garage. They were headed somewhere today, and I was going to uh, stand in front of the car and show them how to do that, and Lauren recorded it. <laughs> so someone, uh, someone much smarter than me can tell me what I did wrong there or what needed to happen, but I've been having some kind of week. Some of you have told this story. I went into Sam's Club a few nights ago when I walked in. I was on the phone with a friend, and and uh, was shopping, and it just was so peaceful in there and great. And I found some clothes and looked through a book and gone through. They had fresh fruit out, went through fruits, and bought some meat, found something for the kids. It's like, man, this is just, this is the time to be here. This is a moment of peace. This is so great. And a, a lady who worked there, very kind, comes around the, the aisle holding something and sees me and goes, what are you doing? And we kind of looked at each other confused for a moment, and she said, we're closed. (laughs) (laughs) So the moment of peace was all of a sudden frantic, and she opened up a register for me and got me out of there. Do you ever feel like that, that it's just any moment of peace is quickly interrupted? I called this message tonight, Cutting Through the Noise, and Our world is getting, literally, if you study this, our world is getting louder and louder and louder. Literally, there's more noise, more kinds of noises than ever before. We're under an acoustic attack in our world. 
In fact, even naturally, nature, the world is making loud sounds. There was an eruption in Indonesia a few years ago, a volcanic eruption that was heard all the way in San Diego. The world is getting louder and louder, literally. But figuratively, uh, the world is getting louder and louder as well, too. Uh, we are under a constant acoustic attack in our mind and in our spirits, in our souls. And while the world is more uh, louder, noisier, congested, ironically, people are lonelier and lost and feel like they don't fit in. And we're facing the noises of competing voices and the distractions of life and our own voices. And the ability to be able to focus is gone. And we're pulled from one urgent thing to the next. And the squeaky wheel gets the grease. We're driven. Our lives are driven by whatever's loudest, whatever's most demanding. But our hearts, the deepest part of us, long. They're longing for something to cut through all of that noise and to say, this is the way. Walk in it. This is your purpose. This is your focus. And my hope, my prayer for you is that Jesus will come to you in a new way this Christmas and in this coming year that we all have planned, that you will have ears to hear new words of hope, new words of joy, new words of encouragement, new words of courage in your life. Whatever it is that you need to hear, that God would provide that for you. What simple word do you need to cut through all the noise and all the chaos and all the distraction? I have a word from God today that I believe is just the right word for you, the word that we all need to hear. Probably the most famous words about the coming of Jesus into the world, the famous words of Christmas are actually in the Gospel of John. It's in the first chapter. I put these words in your notes. They're also here on the screen. You can follow along on the Rockbrook app, wherever you might get an app, and you can follow along with the message notes there. But I want us to see what the disciple John has to say about his coming. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He came into our existence. He came into this experience as we all know it. And he came in to all the noise and all the chaos to show us the kind of life that we could experience with God. A life that was in relationship with himself. A life we couldn't live on our own. When Jesus came, God himself was taking on flesh, becoming man, becoming human. The Bible tells us that back in Genesis, you might notice this parallel, that the very first words of your Bible start in the beginning. And here again is John in the beginning. In Genesis, in the beginning, God spoke and the world came into existence and we came into existence. He, he spoke and flesh and blood were created. And here God spoke once again, this time the person of Christ. And this time, not only flesh and blood created, but he became flesh and blood. And God reconciled us to himself by becoming one of us. The only way that Jesus could die for us, the only way that he could be the penalty or pay the penalty for our sin is by becoming one of us. So that he could take upon himself 
that full penalty, the payment of our sins, for our disruption of our relationship with God. In fact, in the Bible, it says this about that in 2 Corinthians 5. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. So the word that created us in the beginning is the same word that redeemed us and put us back together and came in the person of Christ. And many of us have heard the account of how Jesus was born. And we've talked about it this Christmas. We've seen it uh, acted out on stages all over the place. We know the accounts, but there are a couple of verses that I want us to focus on this Christmas. The first is the angel's uh, declaration to the shepherds. Where the angel says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Notice with me there, a savior. Then in Matthew 1.21, God is speaking now to Joseph. And he says, Mary will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. He says, you're to call him Jesus. Because he's going to save his people. Here's something to write down if you're taking notes. It's the meaning of Jesus' name. Jesus' name means Savior. In the Hebrew, earlier this fall, we were looking at the names of God. And the name Jesus is Jehovah saves or Yeshua. So the name Jesus, however you pronounce the name, is a saving name. And he says, you're going to call him Jesus because he will be a savior. He will save his people. And his name is a name of salvation. There's no other name for salvation. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else. Under all heaven, there is no other name for men to call upon to save them. That's why we call him Savior. But what does it mean to be saved? What is he saving us from? In what way are we saved? And to really grasp the fullness of what it is to be saved, we have to grab a hold of some of the richness and fullness that we've lost in this. We read in Matthew 121, you'll give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. So he saves us from our sins. In Romans chapter 5 verse 9, since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. So we're saved from sin, we're saved from God's judgment. And if that's all salvation meant, it's still more than we could ever ask for, more than we could ever hope for. We would never be able to thank God for all eternity for this salvation. We'd never be able to thank him enough for his forgiveness, for his assurance of salvation and an eternal life with him in heaven. But salvation is even more. It's also about the relief from the effects of sin and the effects of brokenness in our life. So in the days of Joseph, the days of the shepherds being told, getting a savior, God's people were looking for that kind of savior. Someone to relieve them from the stress, from the pressure. So what, what were those days like? Why were they waiting for that kind of shepherd, that kind of savior, the Messiah? And I, I think it's important for us to look at how their life was being lived because I believe that we could relate to it today. 
So, so here's some things you might write down about the time when Jesus came. Jesus came in the days of oppression. They were days of oppression because the Romans had occupied Israel for generations and God's people had no control over their own destiny. They were living under the heavy hand of the government. They were oppressed. They had no freedom. Do you feel like that in the days of your life? That there's oppression, there's no real freedom. That maybe you wandered into something and you said, I'm free to do this, but now you're not free enough to stop doing it. He came in the days of oppression, but Jesus also came in the days of despair. They were days of despair because the days of Israel's glory were long behind them, and they were left in the memory, and with every passing days, those memories were fading. They'd become more distant, more vague, more doubtful. Had God ever really loved us? Had he ever really cared about us? Will he ever care again? And as they tried to look to their future, all they could see was more of the same. Some had given up hope. It's been like this for so long. It's this way for me. It was this way for my father. It's this way for his father and his father before him. Why would anything change now? This is how it's going to be. They had no hope. They were days of despair. And third, they were days of silence. Because there had been... No prophet speaking to Israel on God's behalf for 400 years. Throughout the Old Testament, we read over and over again how God spoke to his people, brought them a word of correction, of hope, of future. To, to say, I, I, I know the plans I have for you, and they're good, and they're promising, and they're hopeful. But they'd faced years and years of silence. No messages from God at all. And so it was in those days that the sky splits open, and the angel of the Lord says to shepherds, glory to God in the highest, the Messiah has come. It was in those days of oppression, of despair, of silence, that the word became flesh and entered our experience. It was in those days God sent a Savior. Now our situation today uh, is noisier than ever. But before we go on, let me ask you a question. Does it feel like God is silent? And you wonder, does he even see me? Does he even know me? Does he even care? Is he even listening? Is he hearing my prayers? And if that describes the questions you're asking, you need a word from God, and I believe God has just the right word for you because God sent the word in the flesh in those days of oppression and despair and silence, and a Savior was born. And just as God said to the shepherds, he says to you today, Unto you a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. And Jesus has come to save you in every sense of that word. To forgive your sins and to give you relief from the effect of sin in your life. So how does Jesus save me? We need to unpack this idea. I want you to write this down with me. First of all, Jesus gives me a fresh start with God. He gives me forgiveness of my sins. He gives me assurance that I will spend eternity in heaven with him. Do you need a fresh start with God? God says to you, unto you a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. 
and he will wipe the slate clean. You will be a new creation. You know, uh, artists, uh, in terms of painters, painters uh, have a history of painting over an existing painting. So last week I was reading that at the Cincinnati Art Museum, uh, someone was cleaning a painting by Cezanne. And while cleaning it, they noticed some cracks and, and something underneath. And so they did uh, an x-ray or did some imaging, however they do this, and it revealed a self-portrait of Cezanne, a 157-year-old painting. It was an amazing discovery. And when I read that, it scared me to death. But I got to tell you, I'm so thankful that in the new covenant, God made with his people, sealed with Christ's blood, that he makes this promise, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. God doesn't cover them to be found out again later. He doesn't just paint over the old. He takes off the old, wipes it clean, starts afresh. Where the good things that we do will be remembered and rewarded. And the bad things we do will fall away to the ocean floor, never to be remembered. Jesus saves you by giving you a fresh start. And he can give you that today. Secondly, Jesus gives me room to breathe. He gives me room to breathe. Are you in a tight spot right now? Are you stressed out and anxious? Does it feel like your every breath and every moment of margin is being squeezed out of you? God says to you, unto you a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. And he relieves the pressure. He'll give you the room that you're looking for to breathe. He'll make a way where there is no way. And he will come to your, your rescue. He will give you rest. Uh, we put at the doors uh, a few times a year a little booklet called Our Daily Bread. And several people in our church, it's just a, a, a helpful tool for them to uh, have a daily quiet time and there's a date on there each day and you can read them through there and there's a story and, and a Bible verse. And I read this one uh, months ago, but it, it really stuck with me. And this person writes, the clock blinked 1.55 a.m. Burdened by a late night text conversation, sleep was not coming. I got up out of my tangled sheets and padded quietly to the couch I googled what to do to fall asleep, <laughs> but instead only found what not to do. Don't take a nap or drink caffeine or work out late in the day. Check, did that. Reading further on my tablet, I was advised not to use screen time late either. Oops, okay. When it comes to resting well, there are lists and lists of what not to do. In the Old Testament, God handed down rules regarding what not to do on the Sabbath in order to embrace rest. Jesus came and offered a new way. Rather than stressing regulations, Jesus called the disciples into relationship. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Friend, Jesus is Emmanuel. He is with you. He is for you. God is not against you. He's not out to get you. He'll give you room to collect your strength in him. Room to get back up on your feet. His load is easy. His burden is light. And he gives you room to breathe. Third, Jesus turns my scarcity into sufficiency. If you're coming up short in the face of an overwhelming challenge, are you afraid that you just don't have what it takes to meet what's in front of you? Are your resources depleted? God says to you this Christmas, unto you a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord, and he will be your sufficiency. He will provide what you need. There's an amazing promise in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, that says, My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. In 1918, near the end of World War I, a photographer, Eric Enstrom, uh, was putting together a portfolio of his work. And he wanted to include uh, a piece, he wanted to include one that communicated a sense of fullness in a time that felt so empty to so many people. So he photographed a bearded old man sitting at a table with his head bowed, his hands clasped in prayer. On the surface before him is only a book, his spectacles, a bowl of gruel, a a loaf of bread, and a knife. Nothing more, nothing less. Ironically, many people looked at the photo and saw scarcity. His point was to show uh, abundance, to show sufficiency. But it ended up being the point of the art that here's a full life, someone living in gratitude and abundance and sufficiency, yet some still see scarcity. And the word of Jesus comes along and doesn't measure things the way the world measures it. This is not our home. We don't look at it the way the world does. Jesus gives the heart, the mind, the soul strength to be brimming with gratitude. That God will supply all my needs in Christ Jesus. He says, I come to give you life to the full. Enjoying a relationship with God. It's possible for every single one of us. It includes your need for courage, your need for love, your need for wisdom, your need for patience, your need for forgiveness, all your physical needs, all your spiritual needs. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So I ask you, when you look at that photo, what do you see? When you zoom out and you look at your life this Christmas, What do you see? What's your perspective? Unto you, a Savior has been born. He'll turn your scarcity into sufficiency. He'll meet the need. He'll take care of you. And fourth, Jesus gives me freedom from distress. When it seems like you just cannot catch a break and you're ready to give up hope, God says to you, A Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. He'll bring freedom from your distress. He'll bring hope for your despair. He'll bring light to your darkness. I want to look at what the Apostle Paul said when he was in despair. And and 
I mean, he said he was ready to give up hope. Here's what he said in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Does that sound familiar to anybody in here? So that we despaired even of life. Indeed, our heart, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us. And on him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. God has just the right word for you. Cutting through all the noise and all the despair and the oppression and the pressure. In fact, I'm going to give you the most important word of all. Are you ready to write it down? I know it'll be a big surprise, but the most important word is Jesus. And I know that's a a Sunday school answer, uh, but it's absolutely right. He's Emmanuel. He is Christ. He is God with us. The word became flesh. In Jesus, we find a savior in every sense of the word. And he'll save you in a way that could only be done through his power, through his divine intervention. Because you know that you have reached the end, that your resources are not enough to bring you through. And he will be a rich store of salvation. He'll be an abundant source of supply. He'll be accomplishing, exceeding abundantly above all that you could ever ask or imagine. Does anybody need that kind of salvation in their life today? I I just wonder... You don't have to raise your hand or do anything, but are there any takers in this room today that say, I've been walking with God for a while and I need to know my Savior? Or to say, I have been walking on my own path and I need a Savior to come into my life and give me these things. I need said to me, unto you, a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. God has just the right word for you. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now let's just talk for a moment about what it means to call on the name of the Lord. 27 times in the Bible, God says, call on my name. So he's serious about it. Call on my name 27 times. And if you study what all of those mean, you actually find something pretty interesting about this idea of calling on the name of the Lord. Because to call on the name of the Lord uh, has two meanings about it. And they're two equal but opposite meanings, but they work together. Uh, You might want to write these down as the worship team uh, comes back up. But to call on the name of the Lord first means to summon his name. It means to to summon him into your world, into your, your situation that you're facing. But to call on the name of the Lord also means, you might write this in, to send his name. So to summon your Savior and to send your Savior. Into the situation that you're facing. Let let me give you a very uh, earthbound example of this. Uh, So most of uh, everyone knows me by the name Ryland. In fact, everybody just say, hi, Ryland. See, I told you. But there are two people in the world who call me dad. And when they call me dad, there is a lot wrapped up in that meaning. Dad can mean friend. It can mean counselor. It can mean protector. It can mean provider. 
but dad also means, I found, spider killer. And it's amazing how many times I am completely minding my own business and I will hear a voice crying out into the wilderness, dad, there's a spider on the wall. And what are they saying when they're saying, dad, there's a spider on the wall. They're summoning my name, summoning my name, and the fullness of my name to accomplish a task and send it out ahead of them to deal with that. To call on the name of the Lord is to call him as your savior into your world, into your situation, and to send him out ahead of you. It's like sending his name, his person, like a shield in front of you. It's like firing an arrow at the target, like shining a light down a dark pathway. And to call on the name of the Lord is to say, Jesus, there is no other name, there is no other place where salvation is found. And so Jesus, Savior, come and save me from my sin, from my fear. I'm calling you into my challenge. I'm calling you into my trouble. Jesus, Savior, I'm calling you into my heartache. And I'm calling you to go before me to make a way where there is no way. To save me from my weakness, from my sorrow, from my brokenness. And I hope that this Christmas you are reminded of the simple word of Jesus and that it cuts through and that it rings out in your life and into your world. I just want to take a moment as we're standing together today and ask, do you need a word of hope to save you from despair? Do you need a, a word of courage to save you from quitting? Do you need a word of peace to save you from chaos? Do you need a word of forgiveness to save you from your sin? And that the word you're looking for is Jesus. He is the Savior. He is Emmanuel. He is God with you. He is a Savior in every sense of the word. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. So John said that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So is he dwelling in you? And he won't dwell in you until you invite him into your life. And God waits for you to open your heart to invite him in. And do you need this Christmas to open up your life to him and say, God, come dwell in me. God, come and live in my world. Come in every sense of the word. If you need to do that, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Now let this Christmas moment, let this be a day where Christ, when he is born into your world and into your heart, would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? We're going to pray together. I'm not going to ask you to move or to say anything out loud, but I want to give you an opportunity at this moment to speak one-on-one -on -one with the Lord and invite him into your life. just turn to him in your heart and mind say Jesus I certainly don't understand it all but I know that I need you and I know that I need a savior I cannot save myself there is no other name that can save 
So God, I ask you to be my savior. I want Christmas, I want the cross, I want the resurrection to count for me. God, as God in the flesh, would you come and live in my flesh? Would you restore me to God? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you give me the assurance of eternal life with you? God, teach me how to live the life that you wanted me to live, that you created me for. So Lord, I surrender to you. I ask you to be my savior today. And for all of this, pray this to God. Say, Lord, would you in this, these days of Christmas, would you remind me of what it means that you have become flesh to dwell among us, that you are Emmanuel, that you are our savior. And may we as your church, as your people, may we be people who carry the message of hope into the world around us to share and shine the light of Jesus in the darkness around us. Lord, I pray that our sound would go out to the world and there would be a sense of hope and joy for each one of us as we remember the coming, the birth of our Savior. I ask this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.